Monitoring translates machine data into actionable business metrics, and it is a key component of a modern software company. James Turnbull's new book, The Art of Monitoring, describes how organizations can build their monitoring infrastructure. James joins the show today to outline the strategies that a company can use to proactively monitor their systems. We talk about pull versus push-based monitoring, events, logging, metrics, and James's experience as CTO of Kickstarter. He's also had several prominent roles at other companies. Before we get to that episode, a few quick announcements. The Software Engineering Daily community has started working on a project called Software Daily. We're building an open source news and information site about software. And if you're a web developer working with React.js or Node.js or other web technologies, check out the Software Daily repo, which you can find by going to softwaredaily.com. You can also go to softwareengineeringdaily.com, where you can find out how to become a host for Software Engineering Daily. You can find links to the Slack channel, my Twitter account, my email. You can sign up for our newsletter, Software Weekly, featuring curated content. James Turnbull is the author of The Art of Monitoring and is currently the CTO at Kickstarter. James, welcome back to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be here. I really enjoyed the last time we spoke. Wonderful. Your book starts off with an overview of the history of monitoring, and it's told through the eyes of a sysadmin working at a fictional company called Example.com. And this company seems to be a late 90s or early 2000s company. And you explain how the changes to the IT industry start to necessitate a change in the infrastructure at Example.com. And those changes in infrastructure end up altering the way that the company needs to do monitoring. What are those fundamental changes that are happening to the average company's infrastructure? And how has that changed monitoring? Sure. So the reason I chose the average company is because I think sort of startups uh, more often than not sort of have some vague clue here. Um, uh, but there's a lot of people out there in the world who have lived through these changes that, that, that don't quite understand, like, what do we need to do next? And the big thing that's happened in the industry is, is sort of twofold. One is that uh, about 10 years ago, uh, things started to become virtualized. So where previously, you know, sysadmin's job was to manage, you know, a X number of physical machines and like you used to have a metric of like sysadmins per machine or, um, or machines per sysadmin. Um, as soon as you had virtual environments, not only did uh, the number of environments dramatically multiply, but the scope of control changed too. So that virtual machines were managed by developers, by DBAs, by different groups, by marketing teams might have a, a virtual machine and it became harder and harder for sysadmins to manage that. Um, beyond that, the next evolution that happened was cloud computing. So not only do, does the number of instances multiply, but sometimes those instances aren't even in the same building as you or the same data center. Um, they could be run on multiple cloud frameworks. Uh, they're definitely not things that, you know, they're varying degrees of control like AWS. You, you, know, you can obviously, um, you know, uh, lots about what's going on on an individual instance, but maybe not so much about the networking. Um, in some cases, it's uh, a platform as a service or a, software as a service that you're using, in which case a lot of part of the things like the operating system and its performance are a black box to a sysadmin. Hmm. Can you give me, give me a synopsis for how these changes have um, altered your work for, like, from the vantage point of your career, the different places you've worked, how have you observed these changes? I think the big thing is that um, uh, is sort of the – uh, two things. One is it, it's made life harder for sysadmins. Um, it, there's definitely a uh, the days where you could sort of monitor um, the memory, disk, and CPU, and, and and expect that that would give you some sense of comfort that things were okay. Maybe making sure that the like an Apache service was running or something like that. Th- those those are gone. Are there like specific memories you have of the different companies that you've worked? Because I mean, for people who don't know your resume, you have a very storied career uh you've worked at a lot of prominent companies uh do you think of these different companies as you know epitomizing these different generations in the way that infrastructure has worked and the way monitoring has worked yeah i think that definitely so i think probably the 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 best example of that is that i worked in several very large finance institutions and uh so i'd be part of a team of people who would have to deal with an outage and uh 
on the on, you'd usually be on a conference call, um, and there'd be some some people from the business who are worried about the, obviously the the service that is not available to a customer. There'd be some people from the application side of things who would be who would who'd built the application. There'd be maybe some team from data or storage who might be the DBAs or storage people. There might be a network team, often who are outsourced, like to a telecommunications company. There might be some security folks, and then there'd be some operations and sysadmin folks. And each of those people would have a little picture of what was going on, um, but not the complete picture. And the number of times where I sat in a call and you get to the end of the, the you get to the sort of root cause or the or the or the reason the fault is happening. And you'd all slap each other on the head because it turns out that each of you had a little piece of the information necessary to understand, like maybe the application team had some application metrics, maybe you had some infrastructure metrics, maybe the network team had a trace route, maybe the data team had some, uh, you know, some uh, uh, time on disk or or, um, or storage metrics that were important. And it was only until you put those together that you actually understood, like, this is what's actually happening. Um, and that's a really painful experience. And it's, it's a very blameful experience too. It's very unpleasant when you've got a bunch of people on the phone, all of whom are sure it's not their fault um, to actually try and come up with a, okay, this is what's going wrong. Here's how we fix it. Um, whereas I, I sort of look at the sort of uh, the reason I wrote this book is to sort of to look at monitoring um, as a more holistic thing, which is where you look at all of those teams should have the visibility of the same data. They should all be looking at the same dashboards and being able to say, ah, I can correlate like the um, the speed of disk reads on on this storage array with uh, this bit of network performance over here, and oh, I can see that's impacting uh, the application's uh, ability to serve out uh, this particular bit of content or this transaction. Okay, now we've got a picture of where root cause might be. Well, and this also illustrates one of the motifs of your book, which is that the monitoring ties in very closely to the business itself and you get you should have your monitoring system structured so that it can generate business value rather than being this reactive thing and and we'll get into that but i, I want to talk about the title for a little bit and mm-hmm. the title is the art of monitoring why is the focus on monitoring as an art rather than as a science like a, a science I think of as more rigorous and well-defined, but perhaps there are just so many things that you can monitor. There's no one right way to do things that monitoring has become an art. I, I think the art piece is really about putting all of the pieces together. So I think if you, if you, the, 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 one of the things, the reasons I wrote the book is the monitoring industry really is not very well evolved. It's not very mature. Um, there are a handful of players with varying levels of maturity. Um, and there's a handful of sort of, there's a varying level of adoption um, I, I use a, a William Gibson quote to talk about this, and the future is not evenly distributed. Um, so some people have deep insight into their environment and, and have everything met, uh, metrics around everything. Other companies have very little insight. Um, and uh, definitely around some of those domains, um, like uh, if you if you dig into the world around uh, things like uh, availability and resilience, um, uh, response time. Um, like there's definitely science in there. There's definitely people who have really deeply thought about how to measure um, like end-to-end transaction performance for certain types of applications. Um, and there's definitely some science around the idea that, you know, you shouldn't use averages anymore. You should think about um, about different ways of measuring measuring your your performance. Um, and that, that sample size, for example, that if you're only looking at performance every 10 seconds, you, you are quite likely missing peaks and troughs. Um, so things like percentiles become interesting because you are looking at a, a distribution um, of, of results. Um, and I, I think the Gibson quote is very accurate here because the, the quote is, I think in its entirety, is the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed yet. Correct. And, and so, which is to say that the future is here for some organizations, for others, it's not quite here yet. And the way that you talk about this is as this three-level maturity model where you're reflecting the different stages of monitoring evolution at particular organizations and every company has some kind of monitoring whether whether it's simply their logs or that's what they're calling monitoring or it's an extremely advanced system like google Um, and the way that you classify these types of maturity are manual systems and reactive monitoring systems and proactive monitoring systems 
explain how an organization's monitoring system might advance through these three levels as an organization matures. Yeah, so I think manual is 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 still fairly common in a lot of places. Uh, it's where IT is still seen as a as a cost center rather than a profit center. Like it's, it's IT is is probably wedged underneath something like finance, and they have some infrastructure they don't really understand how it works. And they essentially cargo code the monitoring. So what they do is they they go, okay, I've seen this error before. Um, like when the web chart shows this thing that says you know database not available. I remember what the developer said. He said, go to this machine or she said, go to this machine and type, you know, service uh, MySQL D restart. And, and they run that and something happens and sometimes it fixes and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and they essentially, they, 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 they do monitoring by, by pattern matching and by previous experience. And pretty much all of the monitoring is in place, um, uh, you know, in response to things that have gone wrong. Uh, the slightly more advanced version of that, which is where you get to where you start to see, okay, well, some of these assets are really important. Like we can't do business without email or we can't do business without our, our CRM system. Um, and that's when you start to get into the reactive world, which is like something has gone badly wrong uh, and you implement a program to monitor the, all of the things involved. And you probably look at it in terms of like, okay, these three things broke. So I'm going to put checks in place for these three th- three things. Okay, now if those things, that goes wrong again, I should get a notification and, and I should be able to go and fix it. Um, but what, what happens is the next thing goes wrong and you're like, huh, I forgot about the fact the load balancer is important there. Okay. I'll add a check for that. And you, and you, your monitoring builds sort of organically like that. Um, and at some point in time, the business starts to ask, you know, about all these outages, like, oh, um, you know, what's happening here? You know, uh, I'd like to know, like, you know, I, I, I prefer, instead of us going down, I'd like to have some idea of like, you know, what's, what's happening on an ongoing basis and what are the constraints and, um, and that usually closely linked to sort of things like budget, because if you're building reactive monitoring, you're probably not building features. Like you, you are having to sacrifice some time to stabilize an environment or do the sort of administrative overhead for that environment. So the business starts to say, well, you want to hire three more sysadmins and that's going to cost me this much money. Um, tell me how that's going to make the, the transaction system run three times faster. Like our, our customer is going to get a better user experience. And more and more um, on the top top end of that reactive things, the business is starting to be aware that that small differences in performance and small differences in user experience are, are tangible and important to customers. Like if you look like a site like Amazon, um, like if if you had a bad experience buying a Kindle book or buying your your you know something on Prime Day, like that's going to cause a considerable amount of brand damage, and you may not go back to that company. So if you have a poor experience. Like this has a tangible impact on the bottom line. So the business says, we want to be able to spend money. Where do we need to spend that money? What do we have to spend it on um, in order to get that better user experience? And if, you, if your environment is uninstrumented or unmonitored, it's very hard to tell the business that. Like you have to do a fair bit of research to go, okay, let's find out. Let's do some user research. Let's talk to a bunch. Oh, they, they don't like the fact that it takes two seconds to, um, to click. When they click checkout, it takes two seconds to launch the, um, uh, the checkout page. Oh shit! Maybe, we, you know, we could we could do a lot better at that. Maybe if it took one second, our stalled you know checkouts would convert at you know some higher percentage. And that's when the proactive world starts to appear, which is where you can actually know that okay, minute to minute, these are the business metrics I care about, like con- checkout conversions, um, you know, uh, abandoned carts, uh, response time on 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 a particular API or a particular application. Um, and you know, underneath that, there's a there's a there's a series of things you monitor that tell you what knobs and, and levers you can turn to make that better. So you know that the constraint on your API currently is the fact that disk writes are really slow in this environment. If we upgraded those disks to SSDs, uh, or we added you know RAM to this particular machine over here, I can actually see that. Look, I can actually watch the graph. Like, oh my god, our response time for our APIs has dropped to six microseconds instead of twelve. That has a tangible business impact, particularly if you're also monitoring that whatever you know the, the the business outcome of that is, which maybe it's signups or um, the number of times someone posts an Instagram picture or um, you know how fast likes happen or like all of those things become something that you know the business and technology are now working in partnership to make the user experience and therefore the value of the company better. Mm. Yeah, I, I think when you get these monitoring hooks in place and you have a lot of visibility you can really 
get more value out of the the people who are analyzing your business, whether they are highly technical people or not, because you know it's not like you, we're not at the point where we can just have machines uh, analyze all of the data in our system and say, oh, there's the point where you can get more business value out of your entire system. We still need people who are uh, you know, analyzing these dashboards and saying, oh, you know, I just noticed that I'm, I'm looking at this graph over here and then I'm looking at this other graph over here. I, I noticed there's there's a correlation between this type of situation. And the, and the only way you can have that kind of, um, you know, have that kind of analysis baked into your organization is, you, is if you have these monitoring systems proactively facilitated. Um, and, and you gave the example of Amazon. I think Amazon has talked very publicly about how they have identified how much money they lose on every additional microsecond of latency, and it's and it's quite significant. And the only way they can they can really um, have optics into that sort of thing is by baking in very proactive monitoring systems. Um, so in this book, you propose an architecture for a monitoring framework. This is a generalized architecture. What are the components of this architecture? Sure. So, um, you know, obviously the, the tricky thing, and, and, and again, where the reason why art comes in is that, that um, a one-size-fits-all solution is tricky, um, uh, and particularly different types of technology management. So I, I tried to find something that sort of talked about if you were to do this holistically, how would you do it? So I, I basically said that uh, I think the best approach to monitoring is um, is a push-based architecture. So essentially the things that you monitor, uh, generally speaking, emit the metrics that or the, emit the data that you want, and those are soaked up by, by, by infrastructure around it. So... Um, you know, at the at the operating system level, um, you know, you're emitting uh, the, the traditional sort of metrics like CPU and memory and network performance and all this stuff. And at the application level, your code is instrumented in such a way that key subsystems and key components, particularly those that are business critical, emit metrics regularly to say, this is my current state. This is my latency. This is the number of transactions. This is the number of dollars I've collected. Um, and then that's centralized in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place or, you know, a series of places depending on, on, on your architecture. And, like, um, uh, and then basically you, tr- you try and keep that at a very high resolution. So you try and look as often as possible. I, I, I recommend to people that the bare minimum you should be collecting metrics at is second resolution or one second resolution. Um, and then you, you take that data um, and you, uh, you either out- emit it to graphs or turn it into an alert of some kind or summarize it in some way. For example, you could, you could take a, um, a latency target for a cluster of web servers, uh, put that all together to generate a single latency figure for that cluster, generate a percentile from that to demonstrate that, you know, uh, at the 99th percentile, you know, uh, you know this majority, of the, these, these users get a, you know, on average, a, a five-second, a five-millisecond response time, and there's a small group of users that don't. And okay, if for that small group of users that response time grows, then trigger an alert or or, or take some action. Um, and you talked a bit about you know you still need a human. I think that's that's very true. Um, more and more though, we can see that if a human has identified a pattern, you can codify that pattern in your monitoring and have some sort of automated response. For example, spin up a new machine. You know, add some web servers to the cluster. If you know that this series of behaviors is related to uh, a scaling issue, you can respond. Um, mm. And, you know, maybe maybe there's a human intervention there. Maybe you ask somebody for, like, maybe the, the, the bot, the, the current trend is robots. You know, maybe the robot pokes up and says, you know, 99th percentile response time is now 12 seconds, um, you know, 12 microseconds. Uh, you know, if you add 10 more servers, we estimate response time will be 8 microseconds. Like, is stuff like a that Slack bot? Yeah, a Slack bot or something like that. Um, so uh, I then looked at, at, at the other components that you sort of fit into to, to picture there, um, you know, storing the graphs, uh, storing the, graph, the, the time series data, uh, being able to visualize it um, and being able to supplement it with things like logs because uh, a lot of cases logs p- perform two interesting roles. One is that they, you know, a, a lot of applications and services emit logs when things go wrong. Um, but also a lot of services and applications that aren't instrumented, for example, things where you don't control the code or you can't, you can't tell it to tell you more than what it already does, uh, it's possible to use log entries to, to be able to correlate things like, okay, a log entry is generated every single time this transaction runs. 
I can get a, a, an approximate you know latency of or count from from this particular log entry if I aggregate those together and, and do some processing on top of them. Um, you mentioned the difference between a push-based and a pull-based monitoring infrastructure. I think this is pretty core to the conversation. Can you could you talk a bit about how those two types of infrastructure differ and why push is preferable? This is probably the most sort of, I guess, controversial argument I make. Um, uh, so a pull-based monitoring system is something like Nagios. So Nagios, what it is, is a centralized uh, repository of, of checks um, or triggers for checks. And, and what it does, it says it reaches, a, it, it has a defined list of systems like uh, or applications and it reaches out to them, each of those periodically and says, tell me what the, the information you have about your CPU. And it brings that information back and it, and it, it checks, checks it against the, the, whatever state you've configured and says, okay, CPU is above this, then, uh, you know, that's a, that's a problem. Um, uh, that model has a couple of challenges from my point of view. The first one is that um, it generally needs to, it's generally hard to scale. Like it's a, a single central monolithic thing that, um, that after a certain point in time, and this is a very common Nagios scenario, is that um, it takes more time to run the checks than the interval between each check. So, you know, if you want to say run a particular check once every five minutes, um, then it takes longer than five minutes. To, there's a queue of checks. It takes longer than five minutes to run that check. Um, and therefore, you know, you, you end up sort of getting further and further behind. And there are lots of really clever ways you can scale Nagios to run things, you know, uh, integrations and things you can run sort of, you know, queuing systems and in parallelization and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, those I feel those are hacks. Those are sort of, a, you know, you're distributing the load around in different ways. And there's some very smart people out there. Um, the Etsy team are big Nagios users. Um, their team give a paper presentation on how they scaled Nagios at this year's velocity, which was fascinating. Um, but they're really smart engineers. And I don't think that needs to be something that, that uh, every engineer does out of the box. I think there are better ways. And, and in a pool-based model, um, you know, so the other thing is you have to know about the things that are out there. So you have to have some defined list of the things you want to check. And in a very dynamic environment, um, often, like if you're spinning up cloud instances or virtual machines, they may exist, or particularly even worse, containers in a Docker sort of an oriented world. Those containers may live for a matter of seconds, and if your monitoring system can't monitor them for that period of time uh, because they, they don't know about them or they need to converge and their knowledge about them needs to converge, um, that becomes a really big challenge. Again, there are ways of solving that, service discovery, um, but I, I feel those ways are, are, again, a little bit hacky and require a level of skill that I, I'm not sure that is necessary to solve this problem. You know, we, push space. Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, when, so, you know, you mentioned this is controversial is it controversial because it puts more responsibility in the hands of the developers that are developing services because they have to put in their own monitoring hooks and they have to push uh, monitoring data to the overall monitoring infrastructure? That, that's one aspect of it. Um, it it's, uh, it's probably mostly controversial because um, to some extent, I think to some extent, and, and I, you know, I'm... Uh, 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 this is a Vim versus Emacs argument. Like, like there's there's a there are sides, and definitely, for example, the folks from the Google school of SRE are very strong users of, of the pool-based system. Uh, Borgmon, which is the internal Google tool, and Prometheus, which some team, some of the team at SoundCloud, who are mostly ex-Google folks or, or, or some, you know, in that sort of community, developed is, are, are, are more advanced pool-based systems. Um, uh, and I think Prometheus is the first pool-based system I've seen in a long time that I look at and go, okay, I could probably, I would probably implement that. Um, uh, but for the vast majority of people out there, um, the pool-based technology they use is Nagios, and I don't feel that is a very sophisticated choice. And I don't feel it's a choice that's oriented towards that sort of collaboration you talked about where developers, DBAs, sysadmins all work together to make sure the environment is monitored. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's that's probably where it is. Um, I have I have reasonably hearty debates with some of these folks about this, and uh, you know, a lot of it is we agree to disagree based on on sort of you know uh, uh, a variety of different reasons and contexts and things like that. Um, mm. Worldview, uh, yeah, worldview is a good way of describing it. Um, okay. In a in a sort of push based model, the the, the essentially um, as long as your as long as the thing you are that is pushing knows where your monitoring system is. Um, then, uh, and your monitoring system has a series of 
uh, things that it says I'm, I'm going to collect data um, from from things that pop up. For example, I don't need to tell it as long as I'm emitting, say, CPU memory latency or some other series of metrics. Um, then I use a tool called Riemann, um, uh, which is an event-based um, uh, collector, as an example of how to do this. Uh, essentially, Riemann just takes every event in and it looks through its list of configurations and says, do I do anything with this event? Uh, and the vast majority of the time, it, it probably doesn't, but it just goes and stores it. You know, it keeps all the data for some period of time or throws it into a, a, a time series database to be graphed or, or something like that. But essentially, it doesn't need to know about any of the hosts out there. If a new host appears, then it says, oh, there's a new host name in, in the field. Um, do I have to do anything with that? No, I don't. Okay. Oh, I do have to do something. Someone's added a check for that. I, I should do something with that. I feel like in a lot of cases... Uh, that feels like a more natural way of looking at a dynamic system where resources appear and disappear. Uh, and, and there are definitely ways to make that more robust. Um, like if, you, you know, if you're worried about, uh, like, uh, you, know, you can do things like have a service discovery tool that you know, if, if a new host appears, it registers itself with a service discovery tool and your monitoring system then goes, okay, I should get a list of the latest cluster members for this thing. That's, that's my job as I see that check come in. Oh, let me just validate that I have the current list of customers. Oh, there's a new one. Okay, add that to the group, you know, regenerate the percentile and, and pass that metric on. Um, I just feel that feels like a more dynamic way of looking at the world and it feels like a, a, a way sort of there's a, there's a phrase that a, a Microsoft engineer used that sort of talks about cloud computing, which talks about um, pets and cattle. And the way you treat your infrastructure is that in the old days, your infrastructure had a name like it was called um, Kirk or Spock, um, and it was a server, and it lived for a long time. And when it broke, you, you painstakingly fixed it. Um, and if you live in the Amazon world, your server has a name like I87B23A, and if it stops, you probably blow it away and recreate a new one, right? Well, so the, with the serverless paradigm, you don't even care about yeah, the Yeah, like the, in the Lambda of the world, code. it's like whatever. Like it's a black box to you. And the PaaS world too. Any platform as a service, like, like uh, it's like Heroku, for example. You don't... You don't know what happened. You don't individually, um, you know, debug a Dynamo in Heroku. You just go git push Heroku and restart the Dynamo. Um, it's Heroku's problem to keep that running, not yours. Um, and, and if I'm in the business of that, like caring about all of those pieces of infrastructure, I think we're going to less and less care about that. So talking more about the data that we're collecting in our monitoring framework you suggest that the framework uh, centers around three things, events, logs, and metrics. Could you define these and explain how they complement each other? Sure. Um, so I, I look at this, and, and there's a little bit of overlap here, right? So um, uh, events I, I see as a, as a point in time. Like, uh, uh, they, are a, um, they are a data point. Um, for example, at... This time, this time, um, uh, this time, this time series to point. Uh, this particular data point was, you know, one point one somethings, um, and uh, that event essentially, you know, um, that data point is probably not hugely useful on its own, but it's combined with other data points, or you know, a re- it can be reasoned about. Uh, a log um, has is a twofold purpose here. One is it is diagnostic. Quite often, the time you want to keep logs because they tell you what they, they can they they show you the event as it as it appeared. Like oh, I can see well, I'll breach breach of threshold, breach of threshold, a bunch of log entries, um, and a uh, and then here's a series of oh, Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow. Here's the application falling over, and I can step back through that and go here's the code path that went wrong, and here's why it went wrong. Uh, I can also distill metrics and, and data points from logs. I can either treat individual log entries as data points or I can generate log entries that contain metrics of some description. Um, I think about metrics as collections of data points. Um, uh, like at this point, several people who actually know something about statistics, uh, I, I claim to be a gifted amateur, are having small heart attacks as I say that um, because uh, – I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat abusing the, the, the vocabulary and there are definitely people out there who, who will be like, you know, he can't say that about, uh, about a metric. But uh, I look at it as a, as a distilled sort of um, like a, uh, something that um, – a collection of data points that, that, that ha- contain some useful information that I'm probably looking at over a period of time. 
Sure. No, I wasn't looking for the Merriam-Webster definition. No, 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 I understand that. But uh, there, there are definitely people in our community that, that think that I would. I am an absolute cowboy for for, uh, for for being fast and loose with some of my definitions. Ah. That's not my intent. Uh, okay. Um, well, so, you know, in this architecture, events are generated from the business logic or the application or the operating system. Does does an organization need to define a certain format for events? Because if I'm pushing my events from my application to a centralized um, you know, monitoring service, uh, you know, do do I need to have a standardized format throughout my organization? I think uh, at the very least, the the community of people that are looking at those events probably need a standardized vocabulary. Um, I, I really think you need to define like. Um, uh, you know, locations and, and, and geographies or, or applications in some standard kind of way. And uh, almost certainly there is someone in your organization who cares something about data or data science. Maybe there's a big data team of some kind. I bet you anything they have a schema. I bet you anything you could probably steal that schema or modify it or extend it. Um, but I do think it's important to understand that if, if I'm a group of people sitting over a series of metrics – and particularly if I'm a distributed group of people, I want to have a really clear idea of being able to walk the path of that, you know, walk the, the path of that schema and understand that we're talking about apples and apples. Mm. Um, and a lot of the time, uh, particularly with things like metrics, uh, you know, you'll slap yourself in the head and you discover that I, I'm looking at the average CPU and you're looking at, oh, crap. Like that, 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 um, like this is why this data doesn't reconcile or I'm looking at something at as a count and you're looking at something as a, a you know, like th- there's, there's a bunch of reasons why if your application is emitting events, uh, that are, are not clearly defined, uh, and your infrastructure is emitting events that are also not clearly defined, how you can misinterpret like scale issues of scale or issues of ratio or whatever happened to be. Mm. Maybe that's. You know, not to play the devil's advocate, maybe that's one argument for a poll-based uh, infrastructure is the, the the people pulling the metrics can define the schema and enforce it more rigidly. Um, um, yeah, but it does it does mean that that um like you have to. So I would argue that like you you know most of your audience is engineers, right? And and I would argue that almost all of those engineers probably have a style guide of some kind. Like like I work in a big Ruby shop. Uh, we, we don't we don't use hash rockets anymore because that's not a form we think is useful. Um, uh, I also have a data science team, and we we have events that 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 are that you know trigger on say our front end during checkout. Like I know that's a checkout event because the event schema is really clear to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think anyone who's an engineer is used to working in a in a school of practice and and having a style guide. This is just like instead of instead of having my code review for. Um, like, you know, oh, God, stop using the old form of hash rockets. You're like, hey, wow, th- you should really have a stats D metric for, for this particular method because how are we going to know what's happening? Um, yeah. Or this is really important data. I know the finance team wants to see uh, dollars per country. We definitely should in- instrument that. Like, I right. think that's, that should be part of a best practice in, in doing a code review. Monitoring is not an afterthought. It is a feature in its own right. And a, and, a, and a bit of code is not complete until all of all of those features are at least at the minimum viable product stage. Yeah. Okay. What about the event router? You mentioned this earlier. Um, listeners who are unfamiliar with monitoring may have no idea what an event router is. So, could you explain what that piece of infrastructure is and how you integrate it into your workflow? Yeah. So, uh, 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 an event router essentially is is. Is a in, in, in my case, I use an event router, the the Riemann tool that I mentioned before, uh, that is state essentially largely stateless. So what it is is it, it it's it's a listener. Um, you think about it like a uh, it's a it's a it's a you know it's a, a big a big a big hole that just sucks in all of the events you send towards it. So you point a, a client at it that spits out events, and the router pulls all of those events in, and the events are essentially in a in a in a JSON uh, sort of style format. Um, and it, it takes those events, um, it, it pushes, puts, puts them into a, into a, a hash and it says, um, I'm going to analyze each of these events based on a series of rules. Um, and those rules are effectively routing rules. So they say the event comes in and says, Oh, this event is for the Apache service. Ah, that goes down this path. And the Apache service events might go, 
okay, ah, this event is a, um, a failed service event. Oh, that should trigger a page to do alert. Uh, this event is, um, uh, is, is, is a size, byte size of, 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 a, of a web request. Ah, that gets routed to Graphite and Graft. Um, and the router then forgets about that event or it, it, it essentially discards it. Um, mm. And uh, uh, there, are, there are a variety of sort of uh, some event routers have backends that are stateful, so they collect everything. Um, others uh, are just purely a rules engine. If you think about it, if you're an engineer and a software engineer, you've probably built something like a rules engine. This is essentially like a rules engine. Got it. Uh, so the events that are hitting the event router, they get redirected or routed into a storage system for metrics. What are the requirements for a metric storage system? Uh, well, it kind of depends on 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 what you want to do with things. So I I um I've used a, a very simple um, system, a very simple tool called Graphite. Um, uh, essentially, your your prime requirement is whatever system is at the back end must be able to write metrics or write events uh, in in uh, you know as performantly as you want to send them. So uh, if it sort of drops events or, or, or loses them or, or backlogs or something like that, then it's not much use to you. So the biggest challenge is usually scaling. Um, and then it, uh, the second thing you want to care about is are those events in some form that I can do something useful with? Uh, you know, are they in some form that there is a tool I can layer over the top to visualize those events? Um, largely speaking, having a large pool of time series data, it's not, you know, I, I don't know anyone who collects that for the sake of collecting it. Um, you know, you're very much like you want to you want to put it through a you know into a big data tool like Hadoop to do analysis, or you want to drop something like Grafana, um, which is a visualization tool over the top to say, show me a dashboard of graphs that tell me the current state of this application or this cluster or this group of servers. Mm. So, you know, speaking about visualization, I mean. How? What is the relationship between the stored metrics and the visualization software? Like, if, I, if I'm a, a developer and I want to set up a visualization tool over my events that are being monitored, what do I need to know about that? Um, I, I think the important thing is to understand, um, uh, you know, what the numbers inside those events mean. So, like, um, uh, you know, uh, you know that like this is a this is a account of something. Um, it's collected every every one second, uh, and um, you know, uh, well, if you understand sort of the, the parameters of the event, it's very easy to say, okay, I should create a graph that shows. I, I should just be able to throw this to throw this event onto thing and, and graph every data point and show me a line across the page, like the world's simplest plot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if I if I look at something and go, actually, this is a this is a a timer. Um, captured every 10 seconds um, on alternating Tuesdays, I may need to manipulate that data in some way by uh, most of those visualization tools can do mathematical calculations of some kind or um, can, you know, can present data in different ways. Um, you know, I, I maybe I'm, uh, I'm going to, again, offend somebody by talking about pie charts, but maybe I want to look at the pie chart of all the countries that make up the, the, the value of my dollars. Like I might want to look up like, you know, 20% of revenue comes from the US, 5% from Canada, 15% from the UK. And I want to present, present that as a, as a pie chart to the, sure. uh, the ops team, um, the business ops team. Like it, it, having an understanding of what that data is generally allows you to do, um, uh, um, you know, pretty much what you want with it. Okay, so as we get our events aggregated and stored and visualized, we need to actually monitor our hosts to generate data. If I spin up a new service, I need to monitor that host and generate data and put it through this this architectural pipeline. Mm-hmm. What are the central goals of host monitoring? Host monitoring, you know, again, we're, we're we know serverless world containers. Um, generally speaking, um, I look at a, a host and I and I, I try to identify uh, what are the base metrics that and I'm probably not going to care very much about monitoring these individual metrics. Like for example, you know, a classic example is uh, people used to monitor CPU and they used to have an alert that went off if CPU went above eighty percent. Honestly, in a lot of cases, uh, if CPU was running at one hundred percent all of the time, 
um, yeah, sure, I don't have any overhead, I don't have any, have any um, headroom, but um, that may not necessarily be a bad thing. I may actually care about when CPU drops below 30%. Um, like, so things like that, I, I'm, I'm probably not hugely caring about those metrics as a, uh, they contribute to state of mind. They don't, they don't make up uh, something I, want, I care about on, a, on an individual basis. So I think about stuff like you know, disk memory, uh, disk storage, disk performance, memory, um, CPU, uh, you know, all, all of that sort of network interfaces, all of the sort of, the sort of baseline data that I want to collect to sort of have the background and be able to drill into, but I'm probably not going to take any action on. So should a, or an organization typically have some baseline set of metrics that it says, okay, we're going to monitor this on every single host, and then you can go from there and add in more things? Uh, do, do, do you typically uh, suggest something like that to each new service? I do. Um, I think that... I think the, um, I think that if you want to make apples and apples comparison across an environment, um, uh, having that, that, that drill, data you can drill down to, it's like, okay, I see this transaction performance. Okay, that's really interesting because it's different on this machine from this machine. Why is this machine's disk writes twice that of that machine? Huh, maybe this isn't balanced properly and there's a problem. Like, I don't necessarily care that its disk writes are twice, but if I can correlate that data with some other higher level metric, that might be important. Okay, so to recap the architecture that we've discussed so far, can you give a description for how an example event would be generated on a host and propagated all the way to the top layer where I can visualize it? Sure. So let's um, let's say I have a um a web service, and uh, the web service is my is is my checkout payments checkout thing. Um, customer comes along, puts their data in the thing, uh, buys their widget, clicks submit. Um, that submit you know, goes off to the payment system, payment system goes off to a payments processor, uh, authorizes that event, and I generate a metric. Every time they authorize an event, the metric is um, uh, the username, um, the value of the, the transaction, um, and their, uh, the state code of the, or the country code for their shipping address. Um, uh, that a metric um, is generated by the application and... Uh, either pops into some sort of agent on the machine, for example, like a relay of some kind, or a, uh, like in the case of a tool like StatsD, maybe you you point directly at a StatsD server or something like that. Um, uh, that server then takes the event um, and maybe it manipulates it in some way. Maybe it um, uh, you could potentially summarize things. For example, uh, uh, I talk about like some host metrics you may want to turn into say percentages, like a CPU you may want to generate instead of. Uh, uh, jiffies, which is a, a very stupid way the kernel contracts CPU things, you might want to turn it into a percentage. Uh, so that you know, that's a good idea. That does some sort of very that does sort of granular conversion, sort of as close as possible to the source of data, um, and then it generates that event. Uh, then gets passed to the event router. The event router says, "Ah, this is a payments event, and it comes from this this node of the payment service, um, and I, I, it's got a host name and a service name." Uh, that metric, I know what that metric is. That's the dollar value. Uh, there's some supporting metadata, which you know, in, ca- in this case, was pro- is the um, is the country code for the event, and it says I'm going to do two things. I'm, one of the things I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to add up all of the I'm going to add that that dollar together. Uh, um, you know, I'm going to put it down the pipeline with all of the other dollar amounts, and I'm going to um, spit it out towards our graph database, and I'm going to store it as the as the um, you know, dollars, dollars approved, dollars, you know, are authorized. Um, and uh, I have a graph that, that the finance team watches every day and it shows, you know, on a, on a, on a, um, on a 24-hour rotating basis the amount of dollars someone spent on the site. Oh, I also know about the metadata for the state. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab that. I'm going to shoot that off to the graphing thing and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a, uh, a visualization showing... Um, the countries that, that my customers come from, uh, or I could show a like I could hell I could show a map where you know, with with a heat map or, or a, a you know a, a, a thermal map showing showing um, which countries are brightest and because uh, those are where my most of my customers are, mm-hmm. um, and maybe the marketing team cares about that as a as a as a as a, as a practice. Um, or um, I can say. Um, Oh wow! I, I've got this event, and uh, it's I, I, it's a zero dollar transaction. That's definitely a bug. Um, 
So I'm going to route any $0 transactions to the application support team. Um, and I'm, I might, on the way, I might pick up some other data. I might say, uh, I've got other events from that host. Let's put together a little bit of a package showing like the current state of other metrics. Um, and I do this in the sort of various points in the book where I say like, here's an alert that contains contextual information. Things like here's an alert that shows five or six other metrics that are also relevant to that machine uh, or that service. And that, that example might be, um, uh, you know, number of transactions or something like that. And I'll generate some sort of alert. Maybe I'll send an email um, and uh, I will shoot that alert to the, you know, application support at example.com and they, they, they get a list of all of the, the zero-level transactions. Or maybe it's something like, eh, this zero-level thing happens every now and again. Um, let's see if I, I'm, I'm going to keep track of all the zero-level things. And if, if I get more than 10 an hour, I'm going to generate that alert. So I'm not bugging the developer every single time. But when I have a sufficient corpus of information to suggest there might be an actual problem is when I trigger that alert. That's great. Um, you also spend significant time in the book talking about log processing. What are the requirements for a log processing framework, and how does it fit in with the components that we have discussed so far? Um, so, I think the key thing around formatting about processing logs is structured logging. Um, so, uh, traditionally, uh, log formats are, are, are many and varied, um, and they originally emerged from the need for something to be human readable. So essentially, if you look at a syslog message, which is the, the daemon that Unix uses to generate sort of events, um, to tell you the logging events to tell you something's happened, um, it's relatively easy to look at that event and say, um, okay, this happened at this time on this machine from this service, and here's a message um, that, that tells me, like, the Apache service has stopped. But if you think about it in our sort of environment where there's massive scale, there's multiple machines, no human is reading each of those messages generally. Um, so having it in a form that's human readable, uh, having anything in a form that's human readable where the primary audience is a machine uh, is not a sensible choice. So what I instead want to do is I want to say, what could I, how could I construct the log message that contains all the useful data um, but is in a form that is consumable by a machine? So for example, I might rewrite my application to generate uh, a JSON uh, hash for my log entry that contains, you know, a, a, a key va- set of key values for um, name of the service or component that generated it. Um, maybe it contains a block of text that's a stack trace. Uh, maybe it contains a, a, a line number from a co- from code or a metric or some other data of some kind. Um, and I should be on. I'm trying to move all of my logs towards something that I form that a machine can consume. And then there are lots of logging tools out there, there are heaps of logging tools out there that, that can essentially consume that JSON hash, assign those values into a, into a um, you know, metadata, into a, a form, and either, like our event router, take some action. For example, if it identifies that you know, the component is payment system and the error code is, is total failure, um, and you know, then I should trigger an alert, or it says, okay, um, Here's a stack trace. I, I'm going to bundle that stack trace up together with any surrounding events and shoot it off to a to a help desk system and log a ticket. Um, mm. So those are all sort of ways that that logging very much treated the same way as events. You, you sort of treat your log your log data instead of like this stream of consciousness sort of thing. Um, you, you may want to look at that later as a diagnostic tool, but generally speaking, you're treating it in exactly the same way as an event that can be consumed and reused and and manipulated. Okay. Um. We we could do an entire show on the ELK stack, the Elasticsearch sure. Logstash Kibana stack. But could could you explain what that is, just as an example of some log infrastructure that people set up sometimes? Yeah, so uh, ELK um, stands for Elasticsearch Logstash and Kibana. Elasticsearch is a fairly commonly used search uh, search tool, like a Solar or you know, similar sort of thing. Um, it's based on um, uh, on Lucerne, the same way that Apache Lucerne, the same way that Solar is. Uh, essentially, it stores documents, and you can think about your um, your log entries as 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 those sort of as the documents that it stores. Logstash is very much like an, uh, an event router. It, it, it's not stateful I- I either. It um in an, it, it essentially it, it takes in events in a various in log events in various forms, um, and it parses them to read them and then it, it either takes actions based on what it learned about it. So example, all the events from this particular service 
uh, you know, uh, get sent to to be stored. These other events get get routed sideways to our graphing engine and turned into a graph. Um, these events trigger an alert, um, uh, and then um, it at the back end of that it, it passes into Elasticsearch, which indexes all of the log entries, pretty much like any sort of searched um, where you know you've, you've you've got your data set of um, you know products in your database. This is essentially a data set full of log entries and your log, and Elasticsearch will index each of those to allow them to be searchable. Kibana is a graphical user interface that sits on top of that and it allows you to do things like show me all of the log events for this particular system where this criteria is true and then graph that for me. So I, I can see all of the uh, you know, fatal errors uh, from my payment system uh, by count in Kibana. Okay, great. Let's let's talk more broadly, and um, you know we're we're running up against time. Last ten or fifteen minutes, how how do you scale a monitoring system? What are the main challenges to scaling a monitoring system? Um, it, it really is uh, around the sort of volume. Um, so uh, that's the primary scaling challenge. Is that uh, at some point in time you may be uh, either pulling more events or pushing more events to the monitoring system that it can cope with. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of ways of, of dealing with that. You know, in some cases you can throw bigger machines, uh, uh, you know, more, more capacity at it. Other cases you may shard your monitoring system. So much like you shard a database, you may say all of the machines in this class of things or this data center or from this application go to one event router and all of these other machines go to another event router. Um, and maybe your central point of, identification is uh, a central console for the team that looks after a particular service or a division of a company and or maybe there's a series of tiered um, consoles that that roll up increasingly great increasingly less granular piece of information until you get to the very top of the i used to work for a, a, a cto who um uh who just came back from a meeting with the, the the ceo and said to me oh the ceo would like a traffic light that shows him the overall state of the business like if more than, say, 10 of our most critical mission systems are, uh, aren't working, then that would be an orange light. If, um, if more than 50 are not working, that would be a red light. And he just wants that on his screen. Like that's, that's his entire sort of dashboard. And that maybe for him, that, that, that gave him a pretty good feel for where we were on a day-to-day basis. And he wanted to drill down. He could pick up the phone and say, CTO, tell me why it's orange um, or you know, click, in, click into something. And so that sort of tiered sort of structure is pretty common in a lot of organizations. Um, and you know, generally speaking, top of the pyramid care about less granular things. Um, uh, the second part of scaling it is complexity. So, um, uh, you know, the, the more checks you have, the more complex those are. Uh, I strongly, strongly recommend people um, automate uh, checking, um, like building checks. So, you know, if you use a configuration management system, uh, or you, you know, you you store checks in a in a in a, a code repository of some kind, or you automatically generate them from a, using a DSL of some kind or something like that. Uh, I think that that's a far easier way of managing that. Uh, a lot of the the monitoring tools out there have testing frameworks, so testing harness. You can actually write tests for your monitoring tests. Um, so that's that's a really interesting phenomena. Um, uh, you know, you can you know you can um, stub out those tests on an application level, even stub them out on infrastructure thing. To you know, say I expect that the monitoring system expects to see this bit of data in this form. Otherwise, and and, and this and if so, it'll trigger this alert. You can do things like that with monitoring systems that allow you to, as the same way you manage applications, manage their complexity by making them testable and and um, uh, making them sort of you know e- e- easier to control and, and manipulate. So as we're talking about building our monitoring infrastructure, we can choose to buy things, we can choose to build things, we can choose to do some combination of the two. We had a very interesting show a while ago about Sumo Logic and the architecture mm-hmm. of how that works, which is a log processing company. Uh, and there are other log processing companies like Logly. And I think of this as just one component of the monitoring system that you could essentially outsource to a service. Mm-hmm. How do you choose between what to build and what to buy? I think it really comes down to, to core business um, and it comes down to capacity. So uh, for a lot of people, um, implementing something like um, 
uh, you know, this is not an endorsement, but implementing something like New Relic uh, may solve a lot of your problems. Like, because it's an easy drop in, uh, like add, add it to your PHP stack or your Ruby stack or your Python stack or whatever, Java, et cetera. Um, and it automatically comes with a bunch of things that, that where they, they do a lot of the work for you and analyzing the data. Um, but uh, it's designed for many, many people to, to look at that data. So the, the dashboards are designed for you know, the, the, the most common use set of use cases. And it may not know about all your infrastructure or your technology or things that you particularly care about. Like uh, you know, it may not know that, that this particular system over here is the most important system and this particular transaction in there is the most important transaction. Like that, that sort of stuff is, is you know, it's, it's, it may not be granular enough for you. Um, if you, on the other hand, uh, like, you know, we categorically have to be able to have these application level metrics, um, uh, you know, we should build something in-house to do that. Um, that may be a path. You may do some combination of, of uh, outsourcing the, uh, the host metrics, for example, companies like Datadog or Amazon's CloudWatch service. You may have them collect all of the, that sort of data and maybe forward you a summary or forward you that data so you don't have to take care of the collection piece. Um, so I really think it comes down to you know, if you have the skills in house and it's core to you that this particular thing is monitored, then you should you know that that's a good decision around building. Um, if on the other hand you don't have the skills in house and it's not core to you, a lot of these things are not core to you. Maybe that's outsourcing them. And obviously, you know, those both come with a uh, you know there's an opportunity cost you lose from building features if you have to build something in house. There's a, a capex and a cost uh, sorry an opex cost to to um to building things in house, there's a capex cost to outsourcing them. Um, I, I think it's 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 a very it's it's a very case by case basis. Hmm. You work at Kickstarter. How do you apply the concepts that you outline in the book to your work at Kickstarter? Uh, we are a very metrics driven organization, so we um like we collect a lot of data. Um, we have a lot of graphs. Um, uh, so, you know, we, we operate off a similar principle, you know, we, we track all of the, um, you know, like everyone in the company gets a daily email and says like, this is the amount of money collected across these projects in these countries. And here are the most profitable, um, the most successful projects. Um, uh, here's the, the categories that are doing well this week. Like, you know, some, maybe it's games. There's a particularly good games project. Um, wow. So that's like, that's the, like the epitome of your book is basically, Hey, we're collecting all this data and we're turning it into business data. Correct. So that's that's the way we 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 look at that. We look at data in terms of, and there are definitely more granular dashboards. Like uh, our finance team looks at a more granular dashboard. Our data team generates more granular dashboard. Um, our infrastructure and folks look at you know obviously very infrastructure sort of things. Our engineering teams, for example, every time we deploy, like everyone's eyes will be locked to the graph that shows, um, you know the. Uh, the current HTTP 200s to show you know, all good or, you know, oh my God, there's a bunch of 500s here. Like who, who deployed that? Let's, let's fix that. Um, so we are a very graph and metric centric organization. Um, we probably don't apply, like this book is very much aimed at, uh, again, a fairly broad audience. I think as a startup, Kickstarter is a sort of reasonably advanced technology community. Um, I, I don't know that we have some of the same issues. Um, but the reason I wrote the book was because there were lots of people out there I had conversations with who were like, I don't know where to start with this. Um, and I keep going to these talks, these really smart folks from um, places places like Etsy and, and Google, and uh, I go to conferences like Monitorama. I'm just in awe of the team at Netflix and the things they have done. And But I look at their tools and I just don't know where to start and I don't have this many engineers. What do I do? Um, and that's that, that, um, that sounds like a that sounds like a hypothetical conversation. It's not. I've had that. I probably had that at every single monitoring talk I've ever given. Is mm-hmm. someone going? Please tell me how I get started. So I thought yeah. I'm going to try and write something that helps people get started. Yeah, it does kind of get at the monitoring hierarchy of needs. Um, yeah, Maslow's hierarchy probably applies here in many ways. Um, right. Um, so you know, just to wrap up. We couldn't get to everything in your book, obviously. What are the other topics that we did not have time to explore that are in the book that you'd like to highlight? Um, I think we covered a lot of stuff. I think um, uh, you know we probably didn't talk very much about alerting. Uh, I think it's important to write good alerts. Uh, you know, I talked about data being machine consumable. Alerts are the things that humans consume. 
So they need to be contextual and have good information. If you're going to wake somebody up at three in the morning, I want to be able to bounce out of bed and go, I see exactly what the problem is. I have enough information. I can actually kick my brain into gear and solve this problem. I'm not waking up and going, what the fuck is the, oh, excuse me, my language. What, 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 awful, what awful piece of information this is. How do I, how do I, um, you know, I'm going to have to spend half an hour digging through things. Um, so yeah, focus on, on information that has to get to humans like visualizations and alerts should be, you should treat it like a product. You should interview those people, do user research, send them samples, give, get, ask them whether they found it useful, what else would be useful and treat it like a product situation. Um, and that's probably the, the other thing I don't, I, you know, we didn't talk about much is that um, is monitoring life cycle. Like, you know, we talked a little bit about monitoring being a feature of an application. Um, you should treat your monitoring system like a product. You should ask the users um, who are not you yet generally, there are other people out in the organization. You are not the customer of your monitoring. Um, you know, uh, not the only customer anyway. You should ask them what they, what they, what's useful for them. Is this graph good for you? Oh, you do, wow, that graph doesn't work. Okay, what do you need to see? Like, is this alert useful? Do you want to know when this happens? More often than not, the business is always stunned that you know all of these things. And they're like, we always wanted to know X. Or we'd always love to know, you know, how, why the warehouse in, in Wisconsin always runs out of this product. It's because it's right next door to here. This, you know, stuff like that. Businesses are, are absolutely ecstatic that you know. And uh, it's, it's always amazing how popular you become if you're able to provide people with context about the things or make their lives easier. James Turnbull, I loved your book. Thanks for, thanks for reaching out, and I'm glad we had this conversation about the art of monitoring. I hope everybody checks it out and buys the book. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I really had fun talking. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono.